Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Ansaro, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we're talking with the lead author of a Trends from the Field article from our May issue. The article, Accountable Care Organizations Are Increasingly Led by Physician Groups Rather Than Hospital Systems, describes the shift in sponsorship of accountable care organizations after 2010 until the end of 2018. David Muelstein is the Chief Strategy and Chief Research Officer at Levitt Partners, where he is responsible for the firm's strategic planning and research. His research and expertise centers on healthcare payment and delivery transformation, understanding healthcare markets, and evaluating how the broader healthcare system is changing. So welcome, David. Thanks. It's great to be here. Your article describes the shift in sponsorship of accountable care organizations after 2010 until the end of 2018. On your bio, you describe yourself as a data nerd who writes about healthcare system evolution. So with that in mind, can you describe the objectives of this research and why this topic was picked? Sure. So accountable care organizations are a major approach to payment reform. And so because they tie both changing how we pay for services with how we deliver services at the healthcare provider level, uh, the theory is that they will lead to better outcomes for patients and also lower costs. And so significant efforts have been put in place to address these, encourage their success, and, and really try to improve the value that we see in American healthcare. One of the challenges that we've observed is that policies are often built around a specific type of a provider. And what I mean by that is there is a wide variety of different types of care providers out there. There are large integrated delivery systems that have large physician groups and hospitals and post-acute care facilities and just very large entities. There are also very small organizations like a small physician group that might have you know, a dozen doctors and a few different offices that are trying to accomplish the same thing. But under the ACO or the accountable care model, organizations are responsible to manage the cost and quality outcomes of a defined population. And so if you are a large integrated delivery system, you have different tools and different approaches to manage that population. If you are an independent physician group where you don't own hospitals, you really don't own inpatient uh, facilities at all, you're going to approach things in a different way. And early on, when people were first envisioning this ACO model and um, when CMS first started promulgating rules around this, they envisioned that most of the organizations that were going to be leading these ACOs were these integrated delivery systems, where they were going to be able to directly provide all of the different aspects of care, whether it was the inpatient side or the specialists or the primary care. Over time, what we've seen is that a significant number of new ACOs are being formed and managed by these physician groups that don't have access to all of the same systems. Um, they don't always have access to the same capital. They don't have the same technology in place. And so as they start to um, become more prominent 
and those that are, are managing these populations, policies need to be in place to address them, to recognize that they have different strengths and different weaknesses than these large integrated delivery systems that have the hospitals as, as part of that. And so what we're doing in this paper is tracking this trend over time and showing which types of organizations are increasingly leading and adopting the ACOs, and also getting a sense of what the market potential is, um, just how many future organizations could be forming ACOs, and are they ones that have hospital systems or those that are more just physician groups without the hospital systems? What we found is that um, most of the market potential for future ACO growth is going to come from the physician group side. Already over a quarter of, of hospital systems that could form an ACO have one, but only 6% of physician groups that could form an ACO are already an, a part of one. So we believe that there's a real opportunity to start to develop policies that really both encourage and enable physician group-led ACOs to be successful. Were any of those findings unexpected? Did you expect to see that shift? So not really. So I've been studying ACOs uh, since the really the beginning of the, the kind of the nomenclature of, of accountable care organization. And I've observed this anecdotally. I didn't know what the numbers would be, but I knew that it was becoming more and more common for physician groups and particularly smaller physician groups to start to do that. Um, I didn't realize that in a number of years, it was a majority of, of ACOs, um, but that's what, so maybe that was a little surprising to see that the, that the physician groups um, in recent years have, have started to become a majority of those that are sponsoring the new ACOs. What are some of the advantages and disadvantages of, say, a physician-led ACO? Yeah. So I'll look at two different aspects of that. So one is the business model of a physician-led, and then the other is the managerial execution of becoming an ACO. So on the business side of, or the business model side, when you look at the high costs of healthcare, most of them are affiliated or associated with inpatient stays. It's a lot more expensive to have somebody admitted to a hospital than to treat them on an outpatient basis. One of the challenges is if you are a hospital-led ACO or you have hospitals, if you limit the costs associated with inpatient stays, so you reduce your admissions to the hospitals, while it helps your ACO financially, the hospital itself is losing revenue. And for most of these organizations, a majority of their revenue is still tied to strictly fee-for-service type models. And so there is an internal disadvantage to hurt your fee-for-service revenue while trying to improve your financial performance on under a value-based contract. Physician groups don't have that challenge. If they reduce admissions to the hospital, then they are not hurting their fee-for-service revenue. And so they're well positioned from that business case to do it. On the management side, it's also different, is particularly when we look at some of these smaller physician groups. If you have a large integrated delivery system that employs 2,000 physicians and you have two dozen hospitals across three states, it's really hard to roll out a new program. It's really hard to create new protocols and processes and interventions that are well-suited to manage a population and try to prevent high-cost care. It just 
takes a lot of effort to roll anything out at that scale. When you have smaller physician groups, oftentimes they work with each other, they know each other, and there is an ability to come together, make a decision that you're going to um, ch make changes, and then start to effect those changes much more quickly. And that's just a, a function of the size and the complexity of these organizations. Now, there are certainly some physician groups that are very large and complex, but many of these that we found are relatively small, small enough that all of the doctors that are participating have met each other at some point, and they can come together and they can talk through the challenges, talk through learnings, and be able to iterate much more quickly as they try to better manage populations. When it comes to technology, digital health, patient management, um, sort of the future of, of patient care, does either group have an advantage when it comes to tech? So when you look at the technology that these different organizations have already invested in, the integrated healthcare systems and the larger ones that have hospitals tend to be further along the continuum in terms of not just having an EMR, but maybe having pop health management platforms, maybe having predictive analytics platforms that are in place. One of the real disadvantages of the physician groups is the access to capital. So under a traditional physician practice, earnings tend to be paid out to all of the shareholders. So those are the physicians that own the practice each year. They don't have a large um, bolus of capital that they can discharge to a variety of different projects. Hospitals tend to have access to capital, particularly not-for-profit hospitals, because if they have a profitable year, they need to use that money to reinvest back in their, um, in their delivery system. And so with heightened access to capital and uh, a more developed technological infrastructure, they tend to be further ahead. Now, there are physician groups that are starting to get caught up and starting to do some innovative things, but it's a lot harder to do it when you're just not at the same scale and you just don't have the same money that you can deploy toward these capital-intensive endeavors. And when we think about the decisions that policymakers have to make, what are the implications um, going forward, particularly when we think about changes in risk? I think one of the key things is that they need to recognize the differences. They need to recognize that there are really meaningful and substantive structural differences between these physician group-led ACOs and those that are led by health systems or hospitals. And so as they do that, they need to recognize that they are smaller. They don't have the capital reserves. They probably are not as uh, advanced technologically or have all of the systems in place and create programs and policies that enable this. This can be, for example, the prospective or the advanced payment models. Um, this was something that CMS did a few years ago, but then it expired. They could um, bring that back. What this is is where you say, here's a physician group. They're agreeing to take risk for a population of Medicare beneficiaries. CMS will prospectively pay them money. And then as they see savings and um, are successful in the future, they will pay it from those um, bonus payments. They'll pay back what, what was there. This would give those ACOs kind of a, a leg up in making investments in some of the systems that need to be in place. Another thing that CMS can think about doing is really um, identifying what has worked well 
for the integrated systems and the smaller physician groups and really start to share those learnings um, and make it really common. It's not just enough to say, let's look at everybody who is managing people under a certain track of the shared savings program. Instead say, let's look at specific types of organizations and really say what works well for some and doesn't work well for others and then start to share those learnings. Because if you are an ACO just starting out and you go and read all of these journal articles that are coming from integrated delivery systems, but you're a small physician group, a lot of them just simply aren't applicable to you. And so I think there's a lot of evaluation that can be done just to share what works and what doesn't work across the different types of providers that are becoming ACOs. I'm not sure if it's too early to ask this question, but are there any predictions you can make or anything that you're thinking about now with these trends in terms of the changes that are affecting hospitals and physician practices and ACOs in the wake of COVID-19? Yeah, a few thoughts. One of those is that one of the big trends that's happening across the country right now is that utilization is dropping across the board. This mm -hmm. is for elective procedures, but also we're seeing for some that we wouldn't consider elective that are starting to drop or people are just reluctant to go to the hospital. Because of this, if you are under a risk-based contract where you receive financial benefit from a reduced utilization, you're really well positioned right now. This could be a very profitable year for you. If you, on the other hand, drive most of your revenue through fee-for-service payments, it's going to be a rough year um, because you're just not going to be able to make that money back through that fee-for-service side. I think what it will suggest to organizations is that they could be better positioned for fluctuations in the healthcare and healthcare utilization by taking risk. They're in a better position to very quickly move to telemedicine visits. They, they're just in a better um, opportunity to move away from a fee-for-service mindset. Going back to that business model, physician groups are much better positioned to do this than the hospitals um, because the hospitals are so tied to the fee-for-service facility fees that um, really drives their profitability and their viability. And so I think that we're going to see all healthcare providers that are primarily fee-for-service suffering, but I think those that have the high cost associated with fixed assets and facilities are going to suffer more. And so my prediction, certainly not uh, has not been validated in study, but my prediction is that there will be more opportunity for physician-led organizations without high cost capital expenses to um, continue to expand and potentially take on more risk and grow more in the future. Interesting. And will you be doing further work on that and other papers we can look forward to? Definitely. Um, one of it is we just need a little bit more time to see how things play right. out um, uh, as we start to get more data, but that's certainly something we will be looking at. And is there anything else I forgot to ask or that you want to mention? Nope. I would just say that if people have questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to connect on this article with anybody that would like to discuss it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. 
For more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, visit info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.